is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go. Email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Here we go. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go. Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. We are getting so many emails, tweets from our audience about their dynasty leagues. This is gaining in popularity. We love playing in dynasty leagues. And there are a lot of websites and podcasts out there that are just dedicated to Dynasty, like DynastyLeagueFootball.com. We've got a guest from Dynasty League Football. Jeff Haverlack is here. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Oh, it is our pleasure. Uh, love your content. Did a Dynasty League with the DLF guys a couple of years ago. Uh, lost in the finals. The league disbanded. So I'm just going to yeah, I'm runner up. I'm, I'm, that's pretty good. That's probably I guess. why. That's probably why we disbanded the league. <laughs> if, if I had won, I would have kept it going for sure. Uh, I think I once and funny thing how how things change in dynasty. I won on the strength of Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon, and now where would I be? But Jeff, we also have Heath Cummings and Ben Gretsch here. And just before the show, Heath gave a grouchy, grouchy take that I'd love to get your take on. Heath, knock our socks off with your grouchiness. I don't mean for this to be grouchy. I was just talking about how I, I know that people who miss social interaction are using a lot of the platforms that we use for work to uh, communicate and have social events. And I've been asked to participate in like far more of these than I would like to because I would like to participate in zero of them. And I really, really hate it, um, especially when it's like four or more people. And there's not like a rundown of the show like there is here. I mean, you pretty much directed traffic here. We know what we're going to talk about. It's just super awkward. What, what and is inevitably, it? What's the setup? The, They're just the like, hey, let's, let's that I talk? W- the person I want to talk to the least is going to talk the most. <laughs> um, it's just, it's really super awkward. Um, and I just don't, I'd like for it to be over. I don't want this to be a thing that like comes out of this. That just continues forever. Like we're just FaceTiming now. All that, like Face FaceTiming on a phone is the worst thing ever. And this is just like that. <laughs> I mean, like tell that to my parents who never get to see their grandkid. I get to. FaceTime I don't even want to talk to somebody on the phone. Just text me. All right, Jeff. What what you got? <laughs> I don't know if I've got anything on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, quite honestly, I I I have. I have to agree. You know, the, this whole social distancing thing has thrown us more onto our phones. My wife is video chatting with my niece and her sister on a regular basis. And, you know, it's gotten to the point now where I just I hear it in the background and I start mm-hmm. shaking and then yes. I just go sequester myself. It's like I don't want to be anywhere near it. The shots aren't good. The cameras are horrible. The video, yeah, it's just not. It's just not a good situation. So, uh, you know what? I'm going to give two thumbs up to that take. Oh I guess. man, wow! <laughs> yes. I'm surprised. I mean, ben and I are enjoying it. I play games with like my cousins. We play like uh, we're, we're going to play Family Feud this week. It's going to be awesome. I uh, do too. It's yeah, right. It's fun, right, Ben? Yeah, I, I got a group of friends who we've been playing board games. We've been playing poker on there. Um. We did a, a power hour drinking game because one of my old college buddies made this video that it has all these music videos and every minute it changes. It was great. Sing-alongs. I mean, I enjoy it. Yeah. Heath, would you like to be part of the family Zoom this weekend to play Family Feud? 
um, are you hosting and making up the rules? Yes. No. <laughs> okay, good, because I was not <laughs> prepared for a yes answer. I would have had to run that by the whole group. I don't know how that would have went. I think that is the first thing you've ever invited me to. I don't know if that's true. Remember I... when you invited everyone else to your wedding with me? <laughs> Just David Jamie. <laughs> All right, let's talk dynasty here. And you know, you, you have a tendency to just talk about rookies, but I think uh, you know, a guy like Michael Gallup last year, um, and, and those types of players are really interesting. The year two, the year three guys that we haven't heard from, and how do you identify those year two breakouts? And this will be relevant for people who play in dynasty leagues and people who don't. You're just getting ready for your draft for for a seasonal league. Um, Jeff, how do you identify year two or year three breakout? Somebody that can really surprise us. You know, I a number of years ago, I used to spend a lot more time looking at the the year three breakouts on receivers. <clears throat> but you know, quite honestly, now it's there's no magic formula to it. I mean, there are so many metrics out there, and I'm to be completely transparent, I don't use a lot of the metrics that are out there. You know, the points per route and points per snap and things like that. I like good old fantasy points per game. You know, quite honestly, I'm looking at targets per game. I'm looking especially to end the season. I'm looking for players that have seen an uptick in production. You take somebody like an Anthony Miller, who's who's somebody I'm sleeping on uh, or one of my sleepers on uh, this year as well. You take a look at what he did over the second half of the season, and you don't hear anybody talking about Anthony Miller right now. Yet he, in in a four or five game stretch, he had 50 targets. He was a completely sleeping the first half of the season, and then he came to life in the second half of the season. And so I love to see the ramp up into the second half of the season and production to end the season. And then, of course, you fold in what a team did in the offseason via free agency or via the draft. And then you just have to ascertain, you know, is this going to be good for this player or is it going to be bad for the player? There's there's no real secret to it. To me, it all comes down to good old fashioned production. Fair enough. I mean, I like the simplicity there. And yeah, Miller, I think we all have a little bit of interest in him kind of as a late round pick, but maybe you get him as a buy low in a dynasty league. And I think Nick Foles will help. Um, ben, how about you? Is there anything you're looking for? You know, he mentioned Jeff just mentioned your three wide receivers. Uh, we've had an email you know, me, Heath, Ben, and, and the rest of the FFT crew, an email chain today talking about your two wide receivers. And that appears that they're breaking out a little bit earlier, Ben. So Dynasty League people probably need to pay attention to that trend, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at it from the big picture, I think over the last several years, um, we've started to see that more. There, there are more year two breakouts than year three wide receiver breakouts. Players are starting to uh, be productive earlier in their careers from the from the broader standpoint but there are a lot of you know confounding factors and other other things that impact that um draft capital is a big one uh guys that get drafted early uh tend to get earlier opportunities in their career so they're going to be more likely to break out earlier and the data does back that up and so you can think of that a couple different ways if a, if a top 100 pick doesn't break out in his first couple three years he's probably pretty fair to write off a later round pick you might actually still have some some hope for uh if they're working their way into opportunity a guy like an alan lazard who i believe was undrafted um i'm pretty excited about he's he's only going into i think year three now but um i'm pretty excited about him because he's finally in a position where he's going to get opportunity and he had a good prospect profile a good production at college i do agree with jeff i mean i, I don't think you can 
I think you can overanalyze all the advanced statistics and and production tends to beget production. And, and that's true from college production into the NFL. Um, so a guy like Lazard, a big reason I like him, he was so productive in college. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it tends to vary by different players. But, yeah, I, I think we can expect earlier breakouts now than we used to. I, I think if you look at last year, like the two big – there were more than two, but like with what Chris Godwin did with what DJ Moore did, we were talking about at the beginning of the year the opportunity they had. And that's what I'm looking for. Like they're, Most of the rookies last year I think are going to have – um, above average, good fantasy careers, like most of those guys. But the guy that's going to break out in year two or the guy that's going to break out next year in year three is likely to be the guy that gets a lot more opportunity. It's really yeah. hard to – and it, we we don't always know. It was evident in Tampa Bay with Godwin last year, and we had a pretty good idea with Moore. Um, but some situations are a little bit murkier. Like with A.J. Brown, like he – was incredible and incredibly efficient. We know that's going to regress some, but that could easily be made up for if he's got a shot at 120 targets this year. It won't matter how much he's going to regress, probably. And he does, because to Jeff's point, he didn't start playing full snaps until week 10. He's a a perfect example of a guy who really wasn't a full-time receiver until the end of the year. He was in the 40% snap range, I think, all through September then was up around 60% all through October. And then it was really November when he started playing 80% plus snaps and he was great down the stretch. Well, but I'm talking about like, let's take a guy like Nicole Hardman, Jeff. Okay. Second round pick two drafts ago, pretty quiet rookie year, 538 yards, six touchdowns, only 26 catches, only 41 targets in 16 games. When Tyreek Hill was out, he was pretty healthy. We were hoping for Hardman that Sammy Watkins wouldn't be back. But right now, there's not a lot of buzz on Miko Hartman. But again, it's a second-round pick. And you know, how do you value a, a second-round pick in the NFL draft just two years ago? How do you value a guy like Hartman? Could he have that Michael Gallup-type year? Do we have to wait maybe one more year, and then he's unleashed? Like, how do you evaluate somebody like that from a dynasty perspective? And then how about—I'll just throw one more guy in there. How about Alexander Madison? You know, he's kind of buried right now behind Dalvin Cook. But Dalvin Cook's going into his fourth year. Running back short shelf life. You know what I mean? Like there, there's so dynasty leagues just bring in so many interesting perspectives on players. And how would you evaluate two guys like that who showed flashes but didn't have great opportunity in their rookie year? Sure. Now that's you know, both those players are interesting, and it, a lot of it also comes down to you as the dynasty coach. How competitive is your team? Do you have the luxury of being patient? Alexander Madison. You have to love the way he runs. I mean, in, in short spells uh, to Dalvin Cook, I mean, he was he was awesome. But you're going to have to wait. That offense runs through Dalvin Cook. And so you may have to wait for a second contract. You may have to wait for injury. There's just, there's no way with Madison in order to get that type of return that you can overdraft him and expect production in the next 24 months or the next two seasons. Uh, talent and skill, it's definitely there but you're going to have to be patient. So if you're a competitive dynasty team and you have the ability to be patient, stow these guys, get them onto your roster, knowing that they may not hit for another two or three uh, seasons. However, if you can handcuff them, even better. Now, somebody like McCall Hardman, it's a similar type situation, but dynamic as a receiver to me is different than dynamic as a running back. And I love for receivers 
change of circumstance. Now that can go with any with any particular position, but change of circumstance in an offense is something that I look for as a new season's beginning or as an old as a season's coming to an end. So is there somebody who's going to be a free agent? Is it is it going to open up a spot on the depth chart? Somebody like McCall Hardman, a little bit like Madison, his dynamic is is different. And in that type of offense, all it's going to take is a small change of circumstance for him to get his opportunity. Watkins is going to go down in, uh, injured again, and he's going to get his opportunity. I think once Hardman, he's an exciting player. He's dynamic. He's got that it factor that I love in the receivers. Once there's that change of circumstance that gets him into the offense to see regular snaps, he has an opportunity to produce. Until then, I see nothing more than a utility player and somebody that you can draft a bit higher if you also get special team, uh, special teams return yardage and touchdowns. But both those players are similar in that they, they're going to require a change of circumstance in order to fully be valued. And their best opportunity is probably going to come either when Watkins leaves or when Madison gets his opportunity to start somewhere else uh, as, a, as a free agent. Would you guys trade a third round pick in the rookie draft for Nicole Harbin? And let's say it's like the third yes. pick yeah. of the third round. What? Yes. 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 Third third pick of the third round. Everybody's yes. I would as well. I'm tr- yeah, I'm trying to think how high I would go. It's it's definitely in the second round. Um I think I'd go as high as eighth or seventh. I think he's a pretty appealing buy low. If we, if you want to transition guys to some buy low candidates in a dynasty league, and and I think this also applies to to a redraft league. Like if if like he's a he's a buy low in a dynasty league, then probably means he could be a sleeper in a redraft league. And you know, Hardman from a dynasty standpoint, Kelsey's getting up there in age. Maybe this is Watkins' last year on the team, um, and you know he was drafted pretty early, so. You know, I like that, but but you mentioned Anthony Miller, Jeff. Like, is there anybody else that comes to mind? By low guys. Well, that's that's a you know, as it relates to Hardman into this rookie into the rookie uh, draft. You know, a lot of it's going to just depend too on on the depth of the rookie class. I mean, that, nobody's going to argue that we have an incredibly deep rookie class this year. So you know, just looking at the at the rookies, especially if you're if you're going to take out quarterback, and let's face it, you're you're probably not drafting a second round quarterback unless you you have a dire need at the position. But in this in this rookie class, I think Hardman goes, as far as I'm concerned, probably just ahead of Brian Brian Edwards. So probably mid to late second round, just with the depth of this class. Okay. Um, ben, Heath, any guys that you are thinking about buying low on in a dynasty league? Yeah, most of my buy lows for dynasty are going to be um, – really similar to what the, the listeners know as my favorite targets in redraft, because I, I'm often looking at younger players. We know that. And um, they're guys that I think have a good shot to break out this season. And so those are naturally guys that I think have a, a good chance of really increasing their dynasty value um, for the long term as well, obviously, if they break out this year. So, you know, I, I've seen some trade offers for the, you know, we, we talk about DJ Moore and, and AJ Brown, guys I like. I've seen some trade offers that just really undervalue those guys because of what their production has been to this point. And you, you just you do have to think about age. Those guys are still so young. Uh, DJ Moore just did what he did as a 22-year-old. I think they have very strong chances to be top 12 dynasty receivers for the next five-plus years. And and so if, if you're getting uh, kind of an under underrated – 
uh, value on that, basically, where somebody's not really uh, projecting that forward. And some people will value those guys very high. Then they're good options. But if you're going to go like a little bit later, uh, Deontay Johnson is a name that I really like. I've talked about as being undervalued in all formats. Um, I think Nikhil Harry is still undervalued. I mean, these are guys that had pretty good prospect profiles. Haven't uh, Well, Harry didn't do a lot in year one. Johnson did. I, I don't really understand why Johnson's so undervalued. Um, but they're guys that I think have the potential to really grow in year two. And so it, it's for me, it's always going to be those younger targets. Adam? Yes, sir? I don't think that you and Ben had the same definition of the uh, term by low. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, it, it, it depends on the league and <laughs> flight. Like I said, I've seen some offers that are pretty ridiculous for guys like Moore and A.J. Brown. The, the, like, it, it depends who's, who's offering. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that your way is wrong. I'm just saying that, like, I, I don't think that those are the types of players that Adam thinks of when he talks about by low. I was thinking yeah. maybe I'm – am I wrong, Adam? I mean – no, I mean, kind I, – no, you're kind of right, but I guess I'll let you guys interpret it however you'd like. It would be the best way to do it, right? So right, somebody in the, in the Twitch you guys did last night, someone in the chat, to put a, a value on this, somebody asked – Odell, I got offered Odell Beckham for AJ Brown and Michael Pittman. And so I'm trying to speak to those types of leagues a little bit because AJ Brown to me should be ahead of Odell Beckham in dynasty. That, and you so know what? I was, just, I was about to ask that. I, I'm coming up with comparisons right now. Dynasty, this player A versus player B. And the first one was Beckham versus AJ Brown. So you say Brown. Jeff, Beckham or Brown? Brown, clearly. Very clearly. Thank you. Uh, Heath? Yeah, I've got Beckham. <laughs> of course <he> does. <laughs> okay, how come? I mean, oh, I don't know. Beckham's still in the prime of his career. He's shown us like the number one wide receiver upside. And I've, I mean, I, I really like A.J. Brown a lot, but he's on a team that would, by design, like to throw the ball 450 times. I was looking it up while Ben was while we were doing something else. So now that we're back on AJ Brown, I get to say it. <laughs> but even like Ben was talking about the breakout that he had in the second half last year, and he started playing ninety percent of the snaps in Week Ten, and that's a really good point. And I was kind of like, man, I wonder what his target pace was after he started playing ninety percent of the snaps, and it was for ninety-eight targets. What was their their pass attempt pace was like three hundred and fifty because they were so efficient during that stretch. Like there's no way their total pass you gotta look at his his I believe his market share in that stretch was twenty four, twenty five percent, which is really strong. I, and his air yard share was close to forty percent. I I this is I don't not want an anti AJ Brown thing. I don't want to do that. I don't wanna I don't want like AJ Brown's just I think we just a little bit too much with him. So let me let me say this. Uh, Jeff, you're, you're, give me a sophomore wide receiver. Like, how do you look at the sophomore wide receivers? It was a really, really strong year last year for the rookies. Okay. AJ Brown, Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, Darius Slayton, a little bit of Marquise Brown. Um, are we, do you see any, any, any stars there? Fantasy stars. So you're not talking sleeper. You're talking actual stars. Yeah. Breakouts, I guess. But players. You know, are, I, uh... Right, go ahead. I'm warming. I'm warming up on Debo Samuel. He's yeah. again. He's got that it factor. He's got the dynamic. Uh, he single-handedly took that job from Dante Pettis. I haven't seen a rise and a fall of somebody like Pettis uh, Ooh, in quite yeah. some time. But <laughs> yeah, so Samuel. And you know, as as far as a sleeper goes, too, especially given the Tyreek Hill halo that we're in the middle of right now, 
Marquise Brown, I think, has some potential. He didn't play last year. He wasn't healthy all year. And a lot of dynasty leaguers have tossed him completely out with the bathwater. Really? And so, yeah, so I, I really think that Marquise Brown has some upside there. I've seen, I've seen him go for some trade, you know, some in trade value. And I'm just like, geez, you know, that's something I would take without, without a second of thought. That's how I usually eject, you know, determine my trades and whether or not it's a good trade is if I'm going to lose sleep making the trade. Somebody like Marquise Brown, I think there's tremendous upside. I think he's uh, right now, based on how low he is, I think he has sleeper status. Uh, and that's not I something we typically throw around at DLF, is sleeper status. We don't like to choose the mainstream guys, like a Leonard Fournette. Uh, you could say he had a poor productive season last year and that he's going to bounce back, possible with threefold touchdown increase, but I wouldn't call him a sleeper. But uh, somebody like Marquise Brown, I, I think as a sophomore receiver, I think he's got tremendous upside. First receiver off the board in the NFL draft in 2019. Yeah, I, I think a I very good by that. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's do another comparison. Would you rather have Stefan Diggs or Terry McLaurin in Dynasty? Who's that to? Is that to me? Uh, yeah, you go first. The guest of honor, oh. go first. McLaurin. So yeah, give me give me scary Terry because I, you know, the strange thing is I I haven't been a fan of Diggs really since he came into the league. Yet at the end of last year, the second half of last year, and then he started out, of course, the, he was so cold the first half of last year, and then finally came on second half, and I started warming up to him. I started seeing the consistency. I started seeing the target share, and then he goes and gets traded to Buffalo, and. Buffalo wide receivers to me are um, a little bit like perhaps Chicago quarterbacks. It's to me, Buffalo is where wide receivers go to die. <laughs> and I, I've had some back and forth on on social with individuals that are saying, hey, but John Brown went to Buffalo and immediately became a a, a top receiver. And he did. And as to that argument, I would say, welcome to your wide receiver three, John Brown. You're not going to, I think he finished, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm going to say he's finished about the wide receiver 17. And I could, I could get that data here in a second, but there's no way that I'm going to draft John Brown as a wide receiver too. And John Brown probably put up the most statistically relevant number of wide receiver that we've seen in some time going back to maybe. Eric Moulds, Peerless Price. Uh, I think one, Watkins. One year of Sammy Watkins. Yeah, Watkins is oh. he, he was pretty good. Uh, Brown, I have him as 18th in non PPR, 20th in PPR. Uh, but okay, yeah, right so around 17. Right. And there's no too. way that I'm drafting him there. So I'm taking McLaurin. There's just something about his mindset, his maturity, his route running, and he's the wide receiver one clearly on that team now. Of course, so is Diggs. But no, give me McLaurin. He says McLaurin, Ben. I have them almost identical. I do have Diggs slightly higher, but you guys know I've always been really high on Diggs. Um, I, I'm, I, I agree with everything Jeff just said. I'm, I'm a little bit more of the mind that Diggs is more talented than a lot of the receivers that have played in Buffalo for several seasons, and particularly when you look at his last two years together. Last year, he didn't get a lot of targets. He was very much in a downfield role. The year before, he had nearly 150 targets in a a much closer to the line of scrimmage role. His average depth of target actually jumped six, more than six yards between those two years, which is just a huge jump from the Michael Thomas, Juju Smith-Schuster underneath range to Will Fuller, Deshaun Jackson, deep threat range. And he was productive in both roles. 
So I think the the upside for Diggs as he goes to Buffalo and he finally is a real number one that isn't kind of pigeonholed like Minnesota maybe was putting him into certain roles and he's getting targets at all depths. And if he does that, um, I think he can have the type of year that Allen Robinson just had with Mitchell Trubisky, a similarly inaccurate quarterback where he gets close to 150 targets and it can have a top 10 season in Buffalo. All right, I'm going to ask you guys a quarterback comparison that involves number one pick Joe Burrow right after this quick break on Fantasy Football Today. What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Who would you rather have in Dynasty, Joe Burrow or Russell Wilson? Jeff, you can go first. Wilson, clearly. Ooh, clearly. All right. Uh, Ben? Yeah, I'm taking Wilson, too. Yeah, similar to the uh, Beckham, A.J. Brown thing. I think Wilson would be better for at least the next three years, so I'll take that. I guess I should have made this harder. Joe Burrow or Matt Ryan? Burrow easily. Gosh. So who's the guy that I ask, Joe Burrow or this guy, that makes anybody think for half a second? Like uh, oh, Carson Wentz. I'm actually good with that question. I'm, I'm good with the, the Ryan and Burrow oh. because to me it's – okay, so if you're talking about in a vacuum, I'm probably going to go Burrow. However, with, with Ryan – now, I have a different approach to quarterbacks. I mean, you take a look at my dynasty rankings out on DLF. I would much rather have production now and then have a developmental starter in the waiting in the wings. And especially when you take a look at the the point disparity or the lack of point disparity at quarterbacks right now, you get outside, you know, the top four or five, and then you've just got this this big mishmash of quarterbacks. Give me somebody like Matt Ryan, who's probably got another three or four years of solid productivity. He's probably not going to give you top five numbers, but he's going to be somewhere in that, let's say, eight to 12 range pretty consistently. And uh, he's got great he's got great receivers. So give me that production from from that position. And it's something you don't have to think about. But if I'm just starting a dynasty team and I'm looking for developmental upside, I'll draft Burrow. And then I would still pair him with somebody like a Ryan or a heck, I'd even be fine pairing him with a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees for a year or two just to get that top five, top six, top seven potential. Heath, I'm not do I don't I don't feel like I'm doing very well with these comparisons. Why don't you come up with one? In Dynasty, would you rather rather have player A or player B? I think you're doing a great job and your perceptions are probably have a better chance of being closer to Ben's than mine right now, it seems like. But I will say Devin Singletary or Kareem Hunt. I love it. That's great. All right, Jeff, you can start. Devin Singletary or Kareem Hunt? Hunt. Ben? I will take Singletary. I will take Kareem Hunt. 
How about you, Heath? Uh, I have them back-to-back, so I don't think it's definitive at all, but I have Kareem Hunt one spot ahead of Singletary. I don't know, like, we know that Hunt is stuck behind Nick Chubb or with Nick Chubb for at least one more season, although when we talk about those two, I'm not sure we mention the upside of one of them getting hurt enough. Like, if you draft Kareem Hunt in the fifth round and Nick Chubb gets hurt this year, you've got a top-five running back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the same thing with Nick Chubb. Like, he's got a little bit of extra upside there that doesn't really get factored in. Hunt's but, a really tough one to value because you're right. right. He's that good, but he's stuck behind an even better running back, in my opinion. And he's going to be 25 before the season starts. And we know running backs kind of start slowing down on the backside of 25. So it's a little bit tough. Um, you want a wide receiver one, Adam? Yeah, sure. We'll do one more. Um, let's see. Adam Thielen or Brandon Cooks? Jeff, you're up. Can I pass? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take the upside of Cooks in that offense potentially as the wide receiver one. I've never been a Thielen fan. And I think there's also a lot of risk with Thielen right now because they now have Justin Jefferson there in that offense. It's going to be a little bit of a battle on who's uh, out of the slot. I think they're going to have to kick Thielen out wide, probably to the X. And I think that's going to, I think that's a good reason to fade Thielen this year. Cooks, to me, it's all about his concussions. If he stays healthy, I think he's got the upside. I don't see him replacing DeAndre Hopkins, which I think we would all admit was a complete shocker ahead of the draft. But uh, but give me Cooks in the upside there in the ceiling. Thank you so much, Jeff, for bringing some sense to Adam Thielen's uh, 2020 projection, because everyone besides me at CBS seems to think he's a second round redraft pick. And in all of our mocks, he goes in the second round. And Except I could look today, crazy. he ran the third round. So take it easy. What, 301? There. No, I go? got him with like the... Ninth pick of the third round. No. Yes, I did. Today. It just happened like an hour ago. Okay. Well, that's the first time that's happened <laughs> all off. I was shocked that I got him. So, yes. Yes. I that's agree. the first time that's happened all off. It was <laughs> 0.5 PPR, I'll point out. But I I do have feelings slightly ahead of Cooks because I'm really concerned about those concussions. But uh, And I think this was a good, a good comparison. But I just loved what Jeff had to say about feeling because we are way too high on him. All right. So you, you would rather – A.J. Brown or Adam Thielen? AJ Brown this what? year. Yes. That is absurd. <laughs> no, you are on like that is that is absolutely absurd. How many passes do you think the Vikings are going to throw? You're so worried about pass volume. Uh I think the Vikings will probably throw more than the Titans, but both will throw more than they did last year. Let's talk about rookies, Jeff. What did you think <laughs> of, about this year's rookie class? Uh, you you, t- you talked about how deep it was. What are your overall takeaways from the rookies? I love this rookie class. It's uh, to me, I thought it was going to rival 2014, and dare I say, it was also the most riveting draft we've had. I mean, from top to bottom, I can't remember being so tuned into a draft really from rounds one all the way through round seven. It's an incredibly deep rookie class. It does drop off pretty quickly, right as we reach about that. Oh, I'd say pick 13, 14, 15 range. But uh, there's almost regardless of what you're looking for in your rookies, this draft has it. And uh, I'm really excited about this rookie class, and uh, I'm all in. 
I think people though were a little bit disappointed that you know Jonathan Taylor has to deal with Marlon Mack, DeAndre Swift has to deal with Carryon Johnson, Cam Akers or has you know is in a timeshare, and J.K. Dobbins, who just heard from the GM today in Baltimore, uh, Eric DaCosta, he thinks J.K. Dobbins is a three down back, but he has to deal with Mark Ingram. So you know, and then obviously there's Damian Williams, but like none of the running backs got put into these obvious situations where they're going to be right out of the gate studs in year one. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. And that's why you always, if you're looking to get the most value for your draft picks, that's why you always trade your draft selections ahead of the draft when they carry the most value, because outside of the 1.01, in most cases, following the draft, you're going to lose, you're going to lose value on those Hmm. picks. Now I am probably the only person in dynasty that has Jonathan Taylor as my RB3. And I could drop him down to RB4 pretty easily. In fact, of the five rookies, not running backs, but he, I have him as the as the overall rookie number five on this uh, out of this class. Uh, I well, am you got well, to tell us who the top five. Let's let's get the top five. Okay, so we've got. Uh, let me. DeAndre Swift is number one for me. Ooh. Uh, followed by Ceh. So uh, Edwards Hilaire. Uh, Jerry Judy is number three, C.D. Lamb at four, and then Taylor at five, and then of course I've got Acres at six. Yeah, that, that is pretty interesting. I think I'm I'm more interested to know why you went with DeAndre Swift one. And the thing is, like, man, Detroit has been the the worst, basically the worst place for running backs year after year. Reggie Bush, 2013, their last thousand yard rusher. I mean, it's been a hell for running backs. So DeAndre Swift, number one. Jeff? Yeah, for for me, Detroit, and it, it's tough because Detroit is where running backs go to die. Just right. like <laughs> to me, Buffalo is where wide receivers go to die. However, I'm not going to discount what I've seen on tape. And just because a team has been bad in the past doesn't mean that they're going to be bad going forward. Although Detroit makes it pretty easy to to go with that statement, but I, don't, I think there's little argument that Swift is the purest three down back out of this class. In my mind, you could make an argument for Dobbins. In fact, for a for a brief second, or as my daughter would say, as a hot second, mm-hmm. I did have Dobbins over Taylor just recently, and then I had to I had to push I had to flip flop him back just because of Taylor's upside. And that's not to say that I don't like Taylor, but Swift is the three down back. Carry on Johnson. I think is going to be faded in that offense very, very quickly. He can't stay healthy. I think it's only a matter of time. And Jonathan Jonathan Taylor has a number of flags that you just can't ignore. Uh, his number of carries, his fumbling issues, drop issues. He wasn't a third down specialist at all. Shaky uh, third down pass pro because he wasn't on third downs. Uh, he has an enormous drop rate. And he's he is an early, he is a prototypical early down back, now sharing the backfield with Marlon Back. Mac, who is, I think, a, a good sleeper. He's almost reached sleeper status now because he has been faded so much by the dynasty community. And let's not forget, he's a free agent next year. He's still only 24. When a healthy, he puts up great numbers. I think people that are selecting Taylor are getting an early down workhorse. And I see little way that the that the Colts are going to use him on pass pro, third down duties. And I think he's He's going to be a little bit pigeonholed as an early down back. It's pretty interesting. I I want to ask all of you because you know Jeff just mentioned films, you know, watching film. And I don't mean this question in a condescending way, but seriously, we have to be self-critical here, right? I didn't play 
football. <laughs> you know, I don't know anything about football. I don't know how many of you guys did, but we all have to watch whatever we can watch and kind of make our evaluations. How much do you trust your ability to evaluate a player when you watch him as opposed to maybe looking at statistics, reading scouting reports, things like that? Um, I'd love to know how much of that goes into your your player profiling and how much you put in, how much stake you put into your own evaluations with your own eyes. And Jeff, I'll start with you. Yeah, that is a great question. And if you read any of my stuff on DLF, I always say over and over again in every one of my articles where I'm talking about watching tape and where we're profiling the rookies and then forecasting them to the next level, you've got to trust those individuals that you're following. If you, if you try to follow Twitter and social, you're going to get a lot of hype. Now, that's not to say that I'm not watching what's going on out there. I watch a lot of tape and I've learned to trust my evaluations. That doesn't mean that they're not open, that I'm not open to seeing something different. If I happen to see, you know, a Gil Brandt or um, a, a Greg Cosell or somebody that I really trust out there in the analyst community that has a very different view on a player. I'll go back and take a look to see if I if I've missed something. But it's it's my player tape review that led me away from Trent Richardson, and I think I was probably one of the only fantasy analysts saying I wouldn't do it. It's in fact I like Trent Richardson at the time less than I like Jonathan Taylor. But I'm not going to fall for Jonathan Taylor's speed trap either, just because he ran a four three eight or four three nine in the 40. I trust my tape review immensely. And then I fold in what I'm hearing from other analysts that I trust. And there are some very good analysts out there on Twitter and social. There's there's no doubt about that. But I'm willing to put what I see out there in my articles. And sometimes it means that I'm going to have a DeAndre Swift number one overall. And I really don't care if I catch flack over that. Now, the interesting thing about me saying DeAndre Swift is first overall on my rankings list if I was drafting and I do have a 1.01, I'm going to be taking CEH first overall. So just because DeAndre Swift is my top ranked back for skill set, I've seen him go as little as uh, as low as 1.07. I was just in a draft where he went at 1.07. I was trying really hard to trade up. I was trying to trade up into the four, the five, the six. I mean, I was burning up the keyboard trying to get my hands on Swift as he was falling. But I would take CEH at 1.01 just because he carries so much capital. Then you still have the ability to draft back, uh, excuse me, trade back if you want, using him as trade bait, maybe to get Swift and another pick. But if I could get Swift and the 1.10 for CEH, I'd do it because I think CEH is going to be, I love his situation. And he is really close to that 1.01. I mean, he and Swift are back to back. And I was out at the combine and I talked to a number of individuals he has a large following in the NFL, meaning that the NFL coaches and GMs love the guy. And that's the first one. Uh, that's the, the first time that I really started looking at him. And I came back and watched a lot, a lot more tape to figure out exactly what it was they were seeing. And I started seeing it. But before he was so far down on the list, he's not where I was spending my time. So these, this is why you have to do your own research. But then you fold in what you're hearing and seeing from the draft community on top of it. Hmm. That's fascinating, actually. Um, Heath, same question to you, and how much you factor in what you see with your eyes. Uh, Yeah, that's not, like, I am not anti-film at all, and I get really irritated with the film versus numbers arguments because they're both obviously matter a lot. 
Um, but I'm not doing a lot of film evaluation. I, there are, there are lots of people, um, that do film evaluation that I think do a very, very good job of it. And, uh, I have those that I, that I trust. And then, uh, the metrics I think matter a lot more to me probably. Ben. Yeah. I mean, I watch a lot, uh, of film probably more than, than what he's saying, but I also tend to, uh, be similar to him in that I'm going to lean more towards objective things and trust other people's opinions more. But, um, I, yeah, I think Heath kind of explained it well. I don't, I don't discount that. And I, and I really enjoyed just hearing Jeff's opinion on, on several of those players and how his process works, because I think that all can be very helpful. Yeah, actually, Jeff, I want to follow up. What did you notice about Clyde, Clyde Edwards Elair that when you went back and studied the film that did impress you? And what do you think about his speed? Because I've been a little concerned about the 40 time, 4.6. That's not a good sign for a running back typically, but then it was pointed out Kareem Hunt at the same forty times. So, um, you know, what, what did you, what did you see in your film breakdown of Clyde Edwards Elair? My my first review wasn't enough, and so what I was looking for is I was looking to see his ability to be able to fill a solid uh, third down, be a solid third down option. And when I started hearing more about his toughness running inside between the tackles, his ability to get skinny through the hole. Yeah, you know, his first step to the line of scrimmage, being able to read, react, and then get his shoulders downfield and through that seam. That's really where I started watching more of his snaps. And so I wasn't watching just highlights. I was starting to go back to see, you know, this is where a lot of people make mistakes whenever they're watching tape review. They they tend to watch just the highlight reels. You want to watch a lot more than that. You want to watch every snap possible because you need to see those one and two yard runs as well, not just the 30 and 40. We all know that CEH can can break off the big, uh, you know, go outside uh, around the corner or perhaps get skinny, but we can see him in that second level really quickly. But what about his ability to churn out those three and four yard runs fall forward? And I was amazed. And I am typically one that tends to fade size, meaning that if they're smaller, so receivers less than six feet, I'm usually going to fade that. Running backs less than 5'10", I'm going to start fading them, unless I see something that forces me to reconsider that valuation. And I always use MJD as the as the comparison for backs that are 5'8 and 5'7". I need to see that thick lower base. I need to see them swivel above their hips. So I want to see almost a body that separates from the hips. So where the legs are swiveling below the body. And he's got that. And he's got that thick lower base. You can see it in his thighs. And then it dis- it also displays on tape whenever he tries to go, whenever he sees that seam and he hits it. He hits it with, a, with leverage and momentum that can't be denied. And I didn't see that the first time through because I wasn't looking for it. That's that's pretty cool. That's a really excellent breakdown. Um, all right, we got a few more questions for Jeff. We're going to get back to it in just one moment. We'll take another quick break here on Fantasy Football today. Be right back. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. All right, Jeff, let's ask some more Dynasty questions here. 
generally speaking, I thought what you said about trading picks before the draft was very interesting uh, as a good dynasty strategy tip. Can you give us some more strategy tips for us dynasty leaguers? Like quarterbacks, I would say wait on the tight ends. It's amazing when you take a look at the tight ends, and, and I've been squawking about this for a long time. Tight ends, it's, a, it's an odd, when you take a look between 2000 and 2010, maybe 2012 or so, when looking at drafted positions out of the first round that were nearly always hits, tight end used to be it. Something has happened in the last eight years or so such that tight ends now aren't hitting in the first round. And if you take a look at, say, some of the top tight ends, you take a George Kittle, who I believe was a fifth rounder. Take a look at a Travis Kelsey or a Mark, uh, Mark Andrews, third round tight ends. I always fade tight ends in my draft unless it's a, a two tight end, you know, super flex type league with a tight end premium. But you can find those tight ends by being quicker than your your competition so you don't need to you can sure you you need to fill the roster spot whenever you're doing your startup but be be very quick in your on your waiver wire and your free and your free agency and waiver wire priority or your your bid dollars you can find those tight ends every year there's always one or two of them that come out of nowhere and become top five top six options so that's one strategy i do the other, the other thing is a lot of people tend to fade the quarterback, and and I get it. I really do. But let me tell you, once you have a solid quarterback like a Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson, you're set for a long period of time. And so one of my strategies, and I almost hate to give this away, except for, you know, we run a DLF, we run <laughs> DLF, so we, we try to give away as much as possible. I often take my developmental tight end, excuse me, developmental quarterback, Somewhere between pick 12 and 17. That's where I got Mahomes. It's where you can get Lamar Jackson. In single quarterback leagues, don't be afraid to get the top quarterback off the board that just uh, that perhaps just went from the NFL draft. Once you get somebody like uh, Mahomes, now you're seeing that Mahomes halo. You know, Jordan Love, Lamar Jackson, everybody's looking for that athletic quarterback. So sure, you're going to need somebody ahead of him, like a, we discussed Matt Ryan earlier, or 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 a Matt Stafford, or an up and comer like a Sam Darnold. But but don't be afraid to spend a second round pick and get who is likely a top five pick in the NFL draft. Uh, I think those are two right off the top that just about any dynasty leaguer can do. And sure, you don't need to overdraft quarterbacks, but don't be afraid in the rookie draft to get your developmental quarterback earlier than what. Uh, than what normally would be possible. From your experience, is there how much value is there in a third round pick of a rookie draft? Because yeah, to me, I feel like I, I went back just last year. I looked at a, a third round, uh, the third round of a mock rookie draft that we did, and it was almost almost everyone was useless, uh, and looks like they're going to be useless. I guess the really the question is how many impact rookies do we get, and if we don't get more than like twenty four, then should we just trade our third and fourth round rookie draft picks for anything we can get of use? I love third round rookie picks. Oh, okay. And, yeah, I, I was smiling ear to ear while you were, you were saying that. Uh, no, I, I truly love the third round rookie pick. And the reason why is because, to me, that's where a lot of those talented players tend to fall to better situation, meaning that my dynasty competition 
as soon as somebody goes to a better drafted situation, they tend to bump up into that 18, 19, 20 range and to allow talented players to slip down into the third round. Now, make no mistake. You're absolutely right. I mean, you're, you can go take a look at, uh, at third round over the last 10 years, you know, fantasy third rounds, and you're going to find a waste. You know, it's a graveyard. It's a fantasy wasteland of, of picks. But I found that it's, for me, it's not that much different than round two. I mean, you're, you're probably looking at something about a 15 to 20% chance of getting a hit which isn't bad in, in the third round, but that's where I've always done some of my best work, especially at receiver, is finding those players into change of circumstance on teams, into free agency for the next year, meaning that they're getting drafted into what looks to be a poor situation, but they have one or two free agents, excuse me, one or two existing receivers that are going to be free agents and may not come back. So they get upgraded based on change of circumstance. Hmm. All right. Um, guys, do you have any any thoughts there? Anything you want to contribute? Uh, I think, like I think, and this doesn't get said quite enough, but it does get said a lot. Don't get caught in the middle. Um, oh, yeah. In a, with your dynasty roster, and especially, like I in a startup, am pretty likely after two or three rounds to decide, okay, I'm just going to try to win year one. Um, but I just I don't want to get stuck in a position where I'm, I've got a sixth place roster. Be first or be last. Questions for you, Jeff, uh, to end the show, some kind of random stuff. Who is the one player that you cannot forgive for letting you down in fantasy? Like ever? Yeah, like C.J. Spiller for me comes to mind because I loved C.J. Spiller. <laughs> there's, actually, there's actually two, and they're, they're neck and neck, and I cringe. every Donald Jones, Brandon Jackson. <laughs> this this uh, fantasy football is littered with guys like that. Oh, geez, yeah, yeah. There's. Uh, I also got stuck with the whole Troy, uh, the Troy Williamson. I mean, going back a bit, um, I, I thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to be the answer for Randy Moss uh, departing, and uh, no, he wasn't the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, I I like barely remember Brandon Jackson. That was only that was 2010. Good. He had 190 carries. <laughs> I don't know what you really bought into him. He went to him Cleveland. Out of Nebraska. I loved him. Uh, he had the he had the prototypical size. I always look for my running backs to be 5'10", 5'11", right in that uh, 212 to 215 to 217 range. Uh, he was able to get skinny through the hole. He had three down potential, and he ended up. In fact, he had a couple of nice games. I was like, here it comes, and there it went. And, and of course. It, Donald Jones, everybody will just remember as Damn It Donald uh, from because he played with Peyton Manning. And yeah. Peyton was always saying Damn It Donald. And <laughs> uh, yeah, he was, but he killed me. Uh, all right, uh, Ben, I'm going to throw that question to you. Who's the one player you can't forgive? Ooh, <clears throat> I don't even have one that, that comes to mind right away. He's I mean, I'm John Baldwin. John That's a Baldwin. good one. John Baldwin. All right, we'll go to our next one. Jeff, the best trade you ever made in Dynasty. Do you have one that you're still like making fun of some guy for the last five years and you ripped him off? Oh, this is awesome. Also, uh, another one that you can't forgive, Corey Davis. Wow. Yeah, I just thought of uh, Josh Gordon, who I chased for too long. Uh, yeah, I had him for a little bit, too. <laughs> okay, so last year, uh, I have a... Uh, 
it's probably my highest price league that I play in. And I have a I have a stupid competitive team. We're talking, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Deshaun Watson. Uh, I mean, it is top to bottom. And so one of the things that I did is I, into last year's draft, I traded away my own pick knowing that it was going to be a good pick. But I don't even remember exactly what I traded away for one of them. But on one of the one of the picks, I ended up trading away my first rounder. That's what it was. I traded away, had traded away my first rounder. But then I I don't even remember how I did this. But I ended up with two other first rounders here in 2020. And those those picks turned into picks one and three. Nice. Because I typically, whenever I make trades for draft picks, I look for, I try to forecast the other teams and who I think is going to perform poorly. And then I target those particular selections. Well, of those two picks that I acquired, I traded away mine, which ended up being pick 10 or 11. And I ended up getting picks one and three back, that, which that's... is just a, probably my best trade ever. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Um, and then finally, you're, you know, we've got, let's say we have people who, have never done a dynasty league, or maybe they're just unhappy with theirs. Tell me the the best format. How many rounds? How many starters? How many at each position? You know, give me how many do you keep? Keep everyone, whatever it is. Give me your dynasty format, your ideal one. I love really deep rosters, and the reason why I like really deep rosters is because I believe the talent needs to exist on rosters and not as part of your waiver wire. Meaning that you don't want your competition or coaches to be able to build quality teams off the waiver wire. So if you're playing in an IDP league, I like to recommend no less than 35 players uh, per roster. And I play in one that has 40, 42 right now uh, is IDP. So I would say minimum roster without IDP for me, 30. I love PPR. I'm getting into the super flex a little bit, but to me, it creates a little bit of too much of a of a have and have not type situation. It's tough to compete with somebody that's got two great quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. And so I really prefer just the vanilla PPR league. Uh, I don't even care for tight end premium. I'll play it and it's perfectly fine, but I don't think that overweights any of the uh, positions that much. And as far as the starting roster requirements, Give me one running back and starting, and so one quarterback starting one run running back, two wide receivers, and then either two or three flex positions. And the reason why is because because you have greater scarcity at the running back position. Once you have the ability to start one running back, and then you force two wide receivers, it gives the league and the coaches in that league flexibility for how they're drafting. Do they want to go to running back heavy? Do you want to go wide receiver heavy? As soon as you force two running backs, you're going to force running backs towards the top of the draft. And I really like to see flexibility and to allow strategy to play out in the draft uh, for your for your coaches. So that way they get to determine how they want to how they want to draft and build their construct their team. Why not add more flex spots if you're going to have so many roster spots? I mean, that's one thing that drives me crazy about the dynasty league I'm in. So I got so many roster spots that I can barely start any of them. Do you have any leagues where you're starting, you know, 10, 12 guys, a lot of flex spots, you know, anything like that? Yeah, I have, uh, I have, like, you know, I, we have started phasing out kickers and defense and defense as well. And most of, most of the leagues that I play in and primarily, you know, I'm fine with starting, you know, three players or so, uh, three flex spots. Uh, I'm fine with that. I'd be fine with more than that as well. 
the the problem with starting so many flex players, at least in my estimation, and it's not really a problem, but it starts to bail. You get a the curve starts flattening a little bit, and so I don't want to say that you're getting into kind of a best ball type situation because you're not, but you're starting to now just you're increasing the amount of luck. I mean, any one player that can really go off. I really love to see the talent rise to the top. And whenever you have a dynasty coach and a dynasty team that's really done the work to amass or trade to acquire those particular positions, they deserve to have the strength on that roster starting on a weekly basis and not be bailed out by, say, maybe your your third or fourth flex position, if that makes sense. No, it does. Well, Jeff, thank you very much. Everybody, get yourself to DynastyLeagueFootball.com. Amazing content there. And, uh, Jeff, we really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Hopefully you'll have me back. I really love being on. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. We will definitely have you back. Heath and Ben, thank you as well. Everybody have a a great day. We got an episode coming later on Friday. We're going to react to the schedule. I'm going to tell you why I am completely done with Amari Cooper. I have... Complete, complete 180 on Amari Cooper. Uh, I'll talk about that on Friday, Friday evening show. We're going to record that, I think, like 4 p.m. on Friday. So you should get it around 5 p.m. And uh, have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on Fantasy Football Today.